Okay. All right, fellas. Well, how was your week? Good, I hope. Not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly unmemorable. Yeah. Unmemorable. <laughs> uh, but you know, three points. So it's, it's rounding out nicely. How's uh, has it been back on uh, home soil? Oh, yeah, home soil. <sighs> Busy. Uh, we bought our car this week, which was good. Um, drove on the left side of the road for the first time in a long, 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 long time. I hope you went with a really like a, a European car that you cannot get in the US. Like, are you better have got like a Renault Clio or a Citroen something? So we drove. I drove a Nissan in the uh, in the US, uh, and I stuck to the Japanese motors. Uh, we got a Toyota Yaris. Matoma dedication, yeah, I swear. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's exactly like, and it was really just topped off this weekend, wasn't it? It just showed that it was the right choice with yeah. Matoma scoring the winner. So, um, yeah, no, it was absolutely mint. Uh, it's only got like nineteen thousand miles on it. Two thousand sixteen uh, hybrid, like electric slash fuel. So yeah, I was well happy with that. The sort of things you get happy awesome. out of thirty three. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's just absolutely mental to be honest. Uh, applying for jobs now, trying to get something sorted along that route as well, and then trying to figure out what games I'm going to be able to make before the end of the season as well. Um, mm. Stoke is calling to me. It feels uh, a cold Tuesday night in Stoke just feels like the right thing to do. Um, Godspeed but... on that. Well, the good news is you, <laughs> while you're looking for a job, is that it appears. Um, if you get super desperate, you can just go and work for VAR. Um, yeah. Because you don't actually need any specific like qualifications for that realm. You don't need a brain. So if you get super desperate and you can't find a job, just go there. I don't know, though. I feel like I'll be overqualified having two eyes. Yeah, they might actually. They, they, they might <laughs> want to go down a different different direction, unfortunately. But yeah, a yeah, Mikey, a same thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mikey also has a, call, a problem with the two working eyes bit. Uh, Mikey, yes, I am back in the UK. Uh, I got back the same weekend we played Liverpool. No, was it Liverpool? No, maybe. Yeah, it was like, th- it's going to be three weeks ago, Tuesday. So uh, we've been back for a little bit. Um but only got the Wi-Fi working like a week ago because the entire trip has just been an absolute disaster. Um, but enough about Toyota Yaris's and VAR being where blind people go to retire. Um, let's talk. Let's talk uh, Brighton reserves against Bournemouth yesterday uh, because the first thing I want to touch on, as always, is that starting lineup. And oh my goodness, squad depth. We talked about how worrying our squad depth is if and when certain players get hurt. Uh, McAllister, one game suspension with his five yellow cards. Caicedo on the bench, probably because he tried to organize his own exit three days ago. Um, we were left with Billy Gilmore and Pascal Gross uh, as our double pivot in the middle of the field. Uh, Esther Pinion, Dunk Veltman. Uh, Lamptey got a start and one that I think he's earned very much so in the last couple of weeks. I think he's been the player starting to become the player that, that we saw a couple of years ago. Um, and also notably, both Welbeck and Dundav. So we were worried about the lack of Ferguson. 
um, which has turned out to be quite a minor injury. Uh, he even had a fitness test before the weekend. So if you're able to have a fitness test before this week, probably a good sign uh, that it's not going to be too long. Um, the worry was that we didn't really have anyone. You know, we just had Undav and Welbeck. Uh, I think Deserby thought similar, so he just thought he'd throw them both on. <laughs> what What were your thoughts when you saw that lineup? Much changed uh, rotation depth, the whole issue. We we had a lot of things to test against and uh, against a bogey team as well. So were you concerned? Did this feel like a trap game? What was the thoughts when you were going through that lineup? <laughs> yeah, all of the above. Uh, we were we we were talking a little bit beforehand, weren't we? And it was. The Undav Welbeck double choice felt questionable because we also then started to ask, well, what formation are we going to play here? Because Deserby's clearly found a preference. And by the way, not a recent preference, right? He's he's wanted to play this 4-2-3-1 for a long while, dating back to the, his tenure at Sassuolo. So starting to get away from that is somewhat alarming. Uh, and this very, very, very much felt like one of those where um, he has to pivot and change his setup and what he wants to do based on the personnel he has available to him rather than the other way around. Never an amazing situation to be in. Now, could he have switched out, taken off Undav and played, uh, you know, an Enciso or somewhere or Sarmiento from the start and, and played the standard 4 2 3 one Maybe, but he obviously saw something there and was like, no, we got to play a three slash five at the back. That's going to suit this lineup better, this game better. Um, and, uh, well, we now have the gift of hindsight to talk about how that went, but it certainly didn't look great about 12, 15 minutes in when we saw a uh, trio of chances fall to a certain someone. But over to you, Craig. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, it's forced changes, isn't it? You've got no Kaiseido just out of principle um, and no McAllister uh, the, the Gilmore and Gross sort of pivot if you like I think we'd, we'd be worried about the sort of the strength of that so we didn't really go for it at all uh, like Adam said I, it was more around okay those are the 11 players but where are they actually going to end up and, and what's actually going to happen um, we saw last week having sort of two strikers on um, personally I wasn't a big fan of it so to see it sort of again um always raises those alarm bells. But again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, but I feel like Josh said, depth is an issue here. And I think it's probably what <laughs> what meant that first half was so dismal. Um, so yeah, personnel-wise, it's the best that we could put out, I guess. Um, based on the situation, it was just more around how they actually set up and, and how we were going to play the game. Yeah, and... Looking at the overarching stats, uh, 2.3 XG to their 1.3. Uh, we had 71% possession yesterday. Um, 20 shots to their 12, uh, six of those on target. Obviously, one of them also hit the woodwork. Uh, they only had two shots on target. 89% pass success rate. We're getting that level of 90%, aren't we? We're starting to see full-on Deserby, that level that, that Sassuolo were at for quite a long time. Um, but that first half doesn't feel like those stats are reflective of that does it um obviously we want let's talk about the first chance that came up for for, for us Dennis Undav after a hilariously bad uh, piece of distribution from uh, Neto uh, Sanchez was 
not great yesterday. Uh, Neto decided to say, hold my beer. Um, I'm going to show you what real bad distribution looks like uh, with, with what can only be described as an absolutely brilliant pass uh, to Undav, who looked full of confidence as he took it, uh, did his man, and then took a half-decent shot that was saved or blocked. Uh, second shot saved, third shot off the post. Uh, pure like FIFA levels of scumbaggery going on. Um Mikey asks in the chat, is Undav Mope 2.5, uh, 2.0 rather. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, because the the individual stats yesterday, if you look at them, it actually shows Undav to be a rather effective uh player that builds up play. Um he was really quite impressive in the build-up. Uh he stood out as the kind of the most impressive of the group up top um, in terms of the kind of the link in the play together. Um, but wasn't that what we were talking about with Neil right at the end there? Yeah, well, I mean, he had, what, 17 passes with 100% pass accuracy. Um, Statistics-wise, as you said, it doesn't look that bad, but he's, we, we go back to the discussion that we historically always had with Mope, right? Which is the one statistic is important for his role is the one that he uh, was not able to get yesterday. Um, big is the confidence thing, right? It's such a cliche to talk about it, but he, he just appears like a striker that doesn't have confidence. Hence why he goes around and, and essentially like makes the wrong choice on three consecutive shots. I think even the middle one, even the first you can have ex- excused by the second one. He should have just smashed it in a corner and he just like tries some like weird, snatch chance that was easy to save and then obviously just whacks it against the post um you don't start him if you have any other option in my honest opinion and i don't want to completely throw him under the bus because we played bournemouth and bournemouth did all they could for the most part despite very quick counters to sit deep and starve our our front pairing of, of of everything i think from a touch standpoint uh, Dennis and Dav touched the ball 29 times. Danny Welbeck touched the ball 16 times and he was on, on the pitch for nearly an hour. Um, it's just not good enough, but we were stifled down the middle. We were forced to go out wide and put a ton of crosses in. And I mean, I don't know the data for the crosses, but it felt like we put 400 crosses in yesterday, but it only takes one, which we saw. And that's the thing, isn't it? It was sort of starved for possession and and being able to pick the ball up and if you compare it against sort of Welbeck's influence yesterday uh, I I did think Dav actually played all right and if you if you take that sort of (laughs) those three chances in quick succession out I know that's that's also completely hypothetical but if you look at his sort of again link up play and being able to make himself available like that cross just at the end for Welbeck to put it in in that area he's he's doing the right things making the right runs but as I say that there is a natural link to to what I would say about Morpé about two and a half years ago. Um, so, yeah, I think he's obviously got something there. Uh, I, some of his sort of post-match interview was that he decided to stay and fight for his place, which is the right attitude. Um, don't get me wrong. But I thought he did all right compared to a very compact Bournemouth team where he really wasn't getting much of a look in anyway. Um, that's why we saw the 400 crosses that Adam mentioned, um, is that naturally nothing was going through the middle. Yeah, I'm not sure what our regular cross rate was, but we had 31 yesterday. 
um, it feels like it's more than normal. <laughs> that feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. Um, Dennis Undav did have six shot-creating actions, though, um, level with Pascal Gross and the most in the team. Um, and it feels very much, as you said, Adam, a striker playing without confidence mm. because he's getting into those really good positions. And he did it a couple of times yesterday where he then probably laid the ball off instead of got selfish. And it almost feels like he could have done with being a bit more selfish at times. Um, and again, like Craig said, like two and a half years ago, these were the exact same words that were coming out about Neil, where he's really good in the build-up, but he's doing one touch too many, or he's not shooting when he should, or he's shooting when he shouldn't. It feels like we're already going down that hole with him. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll wait and see. Uh, with the Ferguson injury being not as bad as expected, it will be interesting to see what happens. Um, but for the majority of the rest of that half, it felt like we were bait and switch pretty hard by Bournemouth. It felt like they were allowing us to come onto them and just hammering us uh, on the counter attack. Uh, the the player they had new signing, um, the what's his name? Anton Semenya, Semenya uh, from yeah. Ghana. Yeah, he was a constant thorn in the side. Uh, he got Veltman booked within nine minutes, um, which felt very scary. Uh, for the rest of the game. And he continued to present those sort of opportunities to Bournemouth um, for the whole the whole time he played, didn't he? Uh, and this is exactly what you're going to have with uh, De Zerbe's side. Uh, we are going to be at risk of being hit on the counter-attack quite often. Um, and for a lot of that first half, uh, it felt like the only reason we weren't going in behind was Bournemouth. Bournemouth were Bournemouth's biggest enemy uh, by not being able to get anything on target, wasn't they? Uh, yeah, I'm, I still think, quite honestly, we could have very, very much lost that game. Um, and, well, you could at least say tied it. There were a, a bunch of moments where you felt like, oh, God, we probably should have conceded there against slightly better opposition. Uh, you obviously also have, I know I know we're going to get into the refereeing stuff, but they they could have had a penalty. They could have had a penalty. Uh, that's another one there as well. It was a it was a really weird, frustrating game, and and I'll, I'll go back to the tactics quickly as well. I, you know, I partially wonder whether he was forced to do the three at the back, mainly down to the centre back situation. I, I really don't think he wants to play Duncan Veltman as a centre back pairing, as a two. Um, whereas he's more comfortable if there's three of them at the back and Veltman's a part of that trio. Clearly, Webster's just still not ready. I know he was out with like a stomach illness or whatever last game, but I don't know. There's, some, there's something not quite there. But point being is that I just don't... I didn't, I didn't love yesterday. I didn't love any of it because it felt like we didn't have that uh, attacking bite to break through Bournemouth. And I think pretty much against bar two other teams in the Premier League, maybe. I think we probably lose that game yesterday just because of the way in which they had so many opportunities to, to bombard us when we were pushed high up. It's weird, wasn't it? I think especially in that first half and with with Esther Pinion at that sort of third centre-back role and what we were playing, I, I think it was a five, but it, it's more just with Esther Pinion being there, you lose his attacking prowess and his attacking ability to, to link up on the left and... It, it left Matoma very isolated. I know the king of one-on-ones and, and all that, and we'll talk about him later, but double-teamed especially because Estepinion isn't able to take that second person away. It was a tough first half for him, though, wasn't it, Matoma? Yeah. Like, it really was. Yeah, and I think he was naturally 
you want to mark him out of the game in the form that he's in. And I think they did a good job in the first half. But it, it partially was down to Esther Pinion not making those attacking runs and taking away that that double team. Um, and it, it led to Matoma being quite quiet. Um, but, you know, it's it's a different formation. Obviously, we're, we're trying something else um, for for whatever reason. I'm, I'm sure uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's a reason for it. Um, but it, it just led to Bournemouth being able to counter us far easily than we've, we've seen in previous games. Um, and it uh, wasn't nice viewing, I think, as you say. It, it was we didn't have full control or there was there was always that thing in the back of my mind, especially with Bournemouth being the bogey team as well. It, it's just sort of after the Undav chance, it's like, this is one of those days, isn't it? Um, and it, it continued to do that up until the half. Yeah, it did. Um, and it only took about 13 minutes for De Zerbi to have seen enough. Uh, and to much applause, uh, Mr. Caicedo come onto the pitch. Um, happy to hear it, personally. Love to hear yours too's uh, views on, on that idea. Had an argument on Twitter the other day with uh, a prominent tweeter in the Brighton sphere that he doesn't believe that Caicedo should have been cheered, uh, should have been booed um, for wanting to leave. Uh, I'd be interested to know what you two think. Personally, I was happy to see him cheered, um, but it seems like it's quite a polarising stance online that wasn't uh, displayed in the in the stands uh, because there wasn't a boo to be heard. I, 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 this is going to sound rude. I don't care. I'm so tired of hearing about the Caicedo crap. Just put him on the field. Just let him kick the ball. I'm so bored of it. Uh, I just, yeah, he's probably going to go in the summer, but I, I'm really, I've, I've definitely got exhausted around this, this aspect of the fan base that seems to think that there's still some like honor and servitude that players need to show to, to, to play for the club. Like, I, I, maybe, maybe I uh, sound a little bit too, um, I don't know, maybe it's a bit sad to think of it this way, but that romance around players staying with clubs and becoming legends and things like that, it's it's gone. And I think it only ever existed because of the fact that, frankly, there wasn't enough money sloshing around and players didn't have the opportunities presented to them. You talked about last time, you know, Dunk tried to get a move to Fulham a long while back. I mean, we want to talk about Glenn Murray. We can have that conversation if you want. Like, what, these players want to go and play for some of these other clubs. And until we become one of those clubs that players look on and go, I want to move to that club, this will happen. And I don't really hold it against him. I think he, his agents tried to obviously get a move and he was a bit stupid. Uh, he came on and I think he did good and great. Play for the club for the next few months and then we'll cash in on you. And that's sort of where I lie is that, you know, there is some responsibility there for trying to force a move through. Like you can blame it on the agents as much as you want, but he's he's responsible for his own actions, including his agents to an extent. Um, but also it doesn't it doesn't help in any way by booing this guy who is going to play with us for the next four or five months, right? Uh, and like you said, there's there's no there's there's no like loyalty in football anymore to a to a degree when the money that you have willing around like you said it, it just it it is what it is that's the modern game it's so cliche but it is what it is that said in this individual circumstance it also just doesn't help anyone by booing this guy and subsequently just not getting behind him or behind the team uh it's just it's a bit of a silly thing i think you just move on from it and understand look he's here he's here to stay for the next five months he's gonna play for us so just get behind him um it, it's almost just let it go and just just 
focus on the now and, and what's going to happen in the next four months because he's an incredible player and we need him. Are you going to exit the pod at the end with a rendition of Let It Go? I'm Great thinking about it. <laughs> we add it as a, we have it scripted as one option. Depends mm-hmm. on how the rest of it yeah, plays out. Think, oh, but who's even who's who's law at this point? Like, what's the your definition of like a law football player? Harry Kane's played for Spurs for years. He's just just turned to become the highest goal scorer ever, and he tried to brute force a move to Man City a year and a half ago. Yep. Uh, so what's law? What, what's loyal then? I don't get it. You just linger at a club for the entirety of your career and turn down opportunities. Right. Like- Do you know what? You can't even go back to the, the old the old days. You'd have just been like, well, Bruno. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Now, you can't, now you can't even say that without like wanting to hiss at the end. So like, that's <laughs> it, isn't it, really? Like that yeah. broke that broke the camel's back. Um, that was the sad one. When you've got a mural, it's sad. As soon as you <laughs> to, to mural and statue territory, it gets sad when you leave. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so overall... Um, I thought Kaiseido played really well. Um, I thought he was, he had four uh, defensive actions more than anybody else, shot, uh, tackles, tackles and interceptions. Uh, and he was only on the pitch for 35 minutes. I, th- I thought he did really well. Um, I thought he made the difference in the middle of the park uh, where we had been struggling all game. Um, I thought that, you know, I thought that we, we looked a better team with him in it, unsurprisingly. Um, but I think, I think you're pretty much bang on, Adam. Like I, I understand that some people I don't I don't really understand why they still think it's normal to boo these people. There is no loyalty in football. There is no loyalty really in much of anything. Not like people who used to retire at their jobs after thirty years. People are moving jobs every two years because they want to get paid. Like it's the nature of the beast these days. What's uh, what's his name? The lad who beat up Rihanna, them hoes ain't loyal. Brilliant. Yeah, great quote to drop in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris Brown, uh, massive Chris, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, don't support him whatsoever. Yeah. Don't listen to that song you just quoted. Yeah, yeah. don't. Uh, he's a horrible, horrible man. Um, but can't but say though, he's look very good though. Like, I, there's he's a different level, isn't he? I don't I mean. We, there's no point. Like, I feel like it's just uh, we get back to the discussions we had around Basuma. So like you're a different team when when that player's on the pitch. Um, but I was interested. Like, I was very, very, very happy to see Caicedo and then some Miento come off of Welbeck. And we should probably have a bigger conversation about Danny Welbeck because let's say he didn't score that goal against Liverpool, the little dink one. Uh, uh, don't, he doesn't, shouldn't get anywhere near the starting 11 of this team uh, based on that form. He's been diabolically bad, in my opinion. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're starting a striker uh, and you're only picking one, I'd rather have Andre than well back at this point. That's what um, I was about to ask, yeah, is which one would you start? Just based on this Warden Premier League start, I I would rather have had Mope at his build-up best <laughs> than well back at than well back in his current guys. Um, I but, especially and see, with the so, amount of goal scorers we have now, yeah. Uh, give, yeah. Give, why not? Uh, <laughs> It's, but this is, by the way, like I, I fully, outside of what happened on the 87th minute, I was fully expecting for us to come into this podcast and have a conversation about how this game summarised a lack of movement in the January transfer window can cost you everything that you hope from this season. Because if you drop points against Bournemouth and this game went a little differently and you didn't come up with that goal, you look around and you go, 
This is why you buy number nine. You don't start Dennis and Danny Welbeck in February of 2023. Both of them are completely out of form. And there's three points that just went away there uh, that could be the difference between you making European football or not. Uh, thankfully, we basically have a superhuman uh, footballer on our team that changed that. But there's a, there is a problem here. And you just got to hope that Ferguson is, again, we're, we're pinning the hopes of our season on an 18-year-old who's just had, just coming back from a, a, an injury that looked like it could have been season-ending and thankfully isn't. And six weeks ago, we think was never stepping near the first 11 for about another year. Weird. Yeah, I think that you would say that this transfer window was a good window um, because we didn't sell Caicedo and he has come back immediately and he is obviously willing to give everything again. Um, and you could argue that his presence in that midfield turned the game uh, along with Sarmiento's flair, which which is understated really. We've talked a lot about Caicedo, but when we get to that 87th minute, we'll be talking a lot about the other substitution made at that point in time because he's quickly becoming a very important player um, for us whenever he's on the field. He makes things happen just as much as the one that we're talking as world-class. Um, Sarmiento, you know, a lot younger than him, uh, not getting the same amount of minutes as him, understandably right now. Uh, he is only 20 um, and he's, you know, he's in and out of injuries, isn't he? He's a, he's a strange player with that sort of stuff, but he was unbelievable yesterday from the moment he came on. Um, but I think that's that's where you think, okay, yes, we should have brought in a number nine. I think we've been saying that for years, so long now. It's just, like you said, it's it's just old at this point. We've been talking about it for so long. Um, but keeping Caicedo is is one, one, one side of the coin, I think, and we at least got that right. Um, and we handled it well because he's back. Um, and I think that that made the difference yesterday, um, along with a manager that makes influential substitutions with assertiveness and dictates a game at his pace with his philosophy. And however much Graham Potter did for us in an amazing way for two and a half, three years, and he obviously did, we wouldn't have won that game yesterday under Graham Potter, in my opinion. No, you t- no way. What do you think, Craig? There's no way we win that game. No, no there isn't. And and it's, it's just due to... And I was, I was going to bring up the subs as well, because you, you said, again, Samianto's starting to become important, but at 20 years old... Then at 75 minutes, you bring on a 19-year-old and an 18-year-old, both attacking, and take off your right back. Um, it, we didn't see that under Potter, nor would we ever dream of seeing it under under our previous manager. So, you know, having the balls, as his, he eloquently put last week, to to make those sort of changes and, and be able to really go after the game, where previously you wouldn't have seen that, um, ultimately ends up in just more sustained pressure, I think. Caicedo, as we said, he's, he's very important to that. He he makes us very hard to counter, well, to be counter-attacked. Um, he's just quick and reads the game better than than pretty much anyone in the squad, to be fair. Uh, so then you're you're allowed to push on at 75 minutes and put these young guys on that are hungry and and able to do it. Uh, so it was yeah impressive from the Zerbi to even <laughs> even try it. Do you know what I mean? I I sort of said to you guys, it's like a 44 at this point because you had like six attacking players all on at once just trying to get something out of this game. Um, and like you said, we, we wouldn't have seen that before. Um, and we get our just desserts right at the end. My my man crush on Roberto De Zerbi is developing. 
it's in a big way. I even love his jackets that he wears. Even sartorially, I'm a big fan. But there's the the, the subs that he made the first set, right? Um, it felt like for the most part, yeah, Welbeck came off and um, uh, and then Gilmore came off, but you kept the same broad structure, at, but you just kind of improved it with a bit more creativity. The, the later subs on the 75-minute mark were just chaos. It was just like, uh, all right, what have we got here? Let's throw on the unknown and just place – we're going to go back and we're going to switch out from this five at the back silliness – we're just going to go for it. We're just we're just going to kitchen sink this game, and I do like what you've said. I'll, I'll round it out because outside of the the time wasting sub at the end of the game, uh, you basically did four substitutions, and they were all Latin American players aged age 18, 19, 20, and twenty one. Because I'm including Caicedo in that. Now, there's not many clubs that bring on eighteen through twenty one year old four South American footballers and and win a Premier League game. Uh, that's pretty fun, uh, and our our conveyor belt of talent continues to 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 go onwards and upwards, regardless if we lose some sooner rather than later. And they look to have already become quite close, haven't they? All you can tell when they're when they're playing together. Even you know, I think Buonanotte has been here about three days, and him and Enzo were loving life just off of one of Enzo's shots. They were chatting away like they were best mates. Um, I think you. You can't understate, and it's something Bloom has done for the last 12, 13, 14 years, isn't it? He gets a subset contingent in from areas of the mm-hmm. world uh, and lets them develop together. The the obvious famous one was was the Spanish contingent uh, way back in the early days that Gus Puyet developed uh, and Oscar continued to develop, and, and that was a big Bloom thing, I think, as well. He's, he's smart in the way he recruits. Um, and like you say, I think, well, we used all five substitutions yesterday at a combined age of 106. <laughs> and that's Adam Webster dragging that age up. <laughs> he's only 28. He's supposed to be at his peak. Um, it's also worth noting Tariq Lamptey is still only 22. Uh, and we talk about him like he's been here forever. He's only 22 years old as well. Um, this was a big game for him, in my opinion. We should talk about Tariq Lamptey a little bit. Like It was nice to see him play a game where it didn't look like he was... Um, a detriment to the team, and also given the fact that we he could have just been off on a permanent transfer at the, at the end of the transfer window that kind of snuck up on us, and felt like he was a third string right back up until this point in the season to, to Pascal Gross. Um, I, I thought I thought he played. It was it was different the way we lined up with that five. It just suits him more, right? Because the, those whoever plays in those roles, he ended up like cutting inside a lot further up the field and being able to get involved way more in the play than when we play the four at the back. And Craig, you made a nice point when we were watching the game. The, the problem with that was that it it hurt Solly a little bit because Solly's involvement meant that he had to kind of try and drift out and, and make up for the push up forward that Lamptey had to do. And that it was another day, another bad day at the office, in my opinion, for Solly March, but maybe down towards that, towards those tactics. I think it is, isn't it? And, and it, but that's natural, right? You have to expect that. And that March has to become more of a defensive winger in order for that to happen. So you know, you you take and what you give and take with with those situations. And that being said, Solly still put a couple of good crosses in. Uh, the one towards the end of the first half, and I think, like you said, he was. 
well, he was less involved in the game, and naturally that means that he wasn't as influential. And compared to his previous purple patch, it it is a, a rough sign. But I think with the tactical switch that we did with the five, it that was bound to happen. And I think if we play with the five, I think there's a good point, Adam. If we play with a five. Tarek Lamptey is always going to be that first choice in that five because it it just naturally works and he's just better at that. And But we do need to know that if we do play that five, then the person in front, that defensive winger, Solly can do a job, but he's not going to be able to be doing what he has been doing in the final third that we've, we've seen in previous weeks. And we saw it with Matoma on the other side, didn't we? Like we're talk- We just had the same conversation about Matoma in the first 10 minutes of the pod. Um, and it's the same reason. Right, we saw a lot of Estepinian roving forward, but we didn't see anywhere near as much as, as, as Matoma in that first half, especially. Yep. Um, and when we did finally make those subs uh, on the hour and a little bit after that, all of a sudden you started seeing Matoma pop up all over that final third, um, and then you started seeing <laughs> seeing him drag players to their knees uh, in submission. Poor lad. Uh, I don't know which guy that was, but uh, just to touch on Lamptey as well. Um, it certainly seems his speed has come back as well, doesn't it? I think if it wasn't for him, Semenya could have had three, just one-on-one because no one else was going to catch him, but he matched him stride for stride. Um, and I don't know how fast Semenya is compared to the other Premier League forwards, but he looked rapid, um, which put a lot of confidence back in me as to Derek Lamptey catching, catching that speed back up. And he had that ability to beat his man on the on the right-hand side as well, quite comfortably, quite often as well, didn't he? Um Again, he's only 22. Like, I think that I'm glad he didn't leave um, because I think he's if he's going to continue to slowly but surely come back like this, there is going to be a point in the future that he is going to be our right back again. Uh, and in two years' time, we'll, I mean, if he continues to, to get back to what he used to be, we'll be once again fending off big bids from yet another young player. And he'll still be young then because he'll be only 24. Yeah, I don't think anyone wanted to see him leave, did they? Realistically, no, no, I don't think any Brighton fan was like, yeah, get rid of Tarek Lamptey, sick of him. No, we all just want to see him come back and be the player we felt like we were getting and we saw massive flashes of. I, ju- I do really hope that that Deserby's tactical style and preference for certain players in certain positions doesn't just force him to be a bit part player on in situations like this game where we, we couldn't play the normal setup, so we had to bring someone else in. Uh, I'm okay if we see a succession of games at four at the back and, and Lamptey plays as that right back and we just go, no, nah, nah, this isn't his thing. He needs to play in a, in a, in a three-back formation as, the, as a, a right wing back. That's okay, but I don't even think we've seen enough of that to draw a conclusion. But yeah, fun game for him. Yeah, I, and Bournemouth were quick. You know, we, we were talking about the, the counter-attacks and I think Anthony on the left-hand side and, and Semenya, they both looked very fast. So the fact that Tarek is keeping up with them and, and sort of, I guess, re-establishing that pace that we, we thought he had lost, I think just due to the length of the injury that he had, um, it, it's always good to see not only him being back up to that pace, but also reading the game a little bit more and, and becoming more of an influence. It's, yeah, we we want him to play. And I think if he gets to up to the standard that we know he can achieve, again, we'll be, we'll be facing 67 mil, 70 mil bids again um, and we'll start having that conversation again. Credit credit a little bit as to Gary Anu as well, right? I know less less on Lamptey and more just the structure of that game. But um, I don't want to face that setup again. It's just mm. it's horrid to play against because I think even if we were playing 
with Caicedo and McAllister and the same setup, I still think that would have been quite a painful game. Uh, and and uh, Naylor, give him his credit, or maybe I'll take a pound from the Naylor swear jar back here because um, he was fairly astute just in terms of how he like Bournemouth sat back but then pressed very very aggressively whenever Sanchez was there to get distribution and normally the the Deserby star right is we kind of create the situation where we're trying to lure in teams to then have those little sections of play that allow us to break I only remember seeing about one of those from yesterday because we weren't able to do them. And and we did talk a little bit with the fact that Sanchez had his like classic like heart in mouth moment a couple of times as well there. But they a lot of that was down to how well they were pressing up and cutting off those passing lanes. So we couldn't do what Deserby wants us to do. Rope them in, get the ball out. It just wasn't an option. Yeah. Um, I think he was unfortunate yesterday in some ways to... To, I think it was unfortunate that we had the ability off the bench to change the game in the way we did. Uh, and we had a manager willing to do it as well, Gary O'Neill, because I think he set his stall out and was doing a great job. And his team was doing a great job of initiating his game plan. Um, unfortunately, you can't, you can't prepare for us to bring on the players that we did. Uh, with the just reckless, <laughs> reckless disregard for our own safety uh, in the manner that Deserby did. Um, and when you're bringing on players of that caliber, of that age, of that kind of flair and passion, you're going to see weird things go on. Um, and I think that when you saw that in the 87th minute, you know, you had, I feel like I think there was about nine players in the final third. Uh, and Mitoma's movement, um, it was on match of the day last night. They showed like the full like little thingy of, of the movement of him. And he was in about three different sections of the pitch, all in the build-up. Uh, he was out wide, but further but outside the box. Then he came out wide fully on the edge. Then he went in, then he drifted out, and then he drifted back in. Then he came to the near post and bob goal. It was just the intelligence of the lad. Like, I know he's obviously a smart kid. He like chose to go to school and get his education and stuff, which is a lot of footballers do not do it. Um, and everybody is now obsessed with his thesis, but the, the header itself, even like the, the calculative like move of that, just bringing himself into it, the positioning of himself, the way he cushioned the header down to make sure it was going to be on target and out of Neto's way, really. Neto was a bit unfortunate because if it had been, any less like firm and any less in that corner, he was doomed. He was fine, but he was doomed with the with the header, wasn't he? Because it was just the whole play was perfect. And Sarmiento, that cross, goodness, just per- picture perfect, weren't it? Yeah, it was. And it, and as yeah, we, we go on to the Matoma section of the podcast is becoming a, a weekly thing. But <laughs> it just, I think, yeah, he's he's so like you said, just. IQ in terms of football and where he needs to be uh, and being able to actually do it. Um, it. It's, yeah, it's incredible. We'll get on to that. But I think the amount of crosses that we had yesterday, I think I completely sort of jinxed it when that was one of the only good crosses that we saw in the whole game. And it took Sarmiento to do that. And I think it just emphasizes that he can do that and he is going to be able to do that. I thought Sarmiento was great when he came on and was taking people on, was getting into those positions. Um, but to put it in a cross like that as well and, and find the find the man as well is is very impressive. But yeah, it's a 
it's a solid header. And like you said, if it's if it's anywhere else, I, I don't think we go one nil up. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've run out of superlatives. I've used all the Matoma superlatives uh, in, in the last X number of podcasts. Uh, the fact that he can now do glancing headers in the 87th minute, it's just like, what else are you going to do at this point? Um, yeah, just a thrill to have him on the team. And and even, as you said, the added excitement now that there's other very, very, very... Um, interesting players that can pop up around him as well. Sorry, I got distracted because someone just got sent off in the Spurs-Man City game, which is going to be a weird end to that. Uh, and with your Sarmientes, with your Bonanotes, and by the way, don't forget also, like you've got players like Adingra that are out on loan who look pretty electric as well. Uh, all right, next season, is we can keep hold of most of these guys. as a big if. It's going to be even more fun. And... With the uh, the way that the Premier League is shaping up, where you've got signs that recent history have been your stalwarts in the top four and top six, just this weekend, right? We've seen some bizarre, wacky results around Liverpool have just gone off the boil completely at this point. Chelsea have Graham Potter managing them, so they can't score. Uh, you've got Man City, who potentially, depending on what happens here, are in a bit of a weird spot too. I God, I just hope that some of these exciting players and Ferguson, this young talent that we have, can push us over the line because this can be, overused term here, a very, very, very special season. Yeah, I think I, I think that we're already looking at one. Honestly, I really do. Uh, we are two wins away from matching the most wins we've ever had in the Premier League with 18 games to go. We're four goals away from scoring more goals than we've ever scored in the Premier League before in a single season. Um, we are the the way we have kicked on uh, since Potter left and Deserve came in is just astounding. Um, I think at this point, like it sounds ridiculous to say it, but the the biggest worry I have this summer isn't Caicedo or Mitoma, who I suspect will get a lot of attention uh, come the summer. Um, and Alexis, obviously, uh, I think I'm worried about Juventus with the with the stuff they've got going on, turning around to Deserby and asking them to to start the build there, um, because he is going to get a lot of suitors very quickly, isn't he? Um, he already had before before we got him. Um, that's that's becoming more and more of a concern. I think um, that. Deserby is is going to be a man in demand at clubs that it really doesn't matter where we finish in the table, even if we finish top and win the league, there are going to be clubs coming in that are bigger than that. <laughs> at some point in the near future, your Juventus is your AC Milan's that just you can't compete with, uh, no matter how good you are, unless you've got 30 years of top-level performances behind you, which we saw Leicester City even struggle with after winning the league. Yeah, I mean, that, that's always going to happen when you have a superb manager, isn't it? We saw it with Potter. We're probably going to be scared of it already for, for the Zerbi. Um, it's just, it's working out amazing so far. And, you know, these results keep coming in. Like Adam said, it it's shaping up to be a, you know, one of a kind season. And it's more of a case of keeping this core together and, comes back to what we said a couple of weeks ago where um, you feel like you just have to back the manager in the summer. Almost like 
do as best as we can do now, right? The January window's closed. It is what it is. Like we we push on and we we finish as high as we possibly can and get as far as we can in the cup. Um, and then it's just a case of okay, Roberto De Zerbi, like we'll we'll back you. What do you need? Um, and, and I think that that's something that obviously we didn't see in January and we were quite concerned about it. Um, but that for me that has to happen in the summer in order to to even keep him content. Um, because if he carries on the way he's doing right now, um. Juventus and AC Milan won't be the only ones looking for him. Uh, there's a there's a very big chance that the summer is the most uh, monumental transfer window for, in in this club's you know, top flight history. Uh, just given the amount of money that has been gathered in in the last twelve months and the expected uh, departures that we have coming up this summer, because again, as you say. You, when you started, you started with Caicedo and then you added a few other names to that list and you start to worry, right? Because then you're sort of half the bloody squad's been talked about as potential departures. But either way, even if even if it's only Caicedo that leaves, and I feel like we're now sort of, we, we've indoctrinated ourselves into believing that's going to be the case. Uh, the amount of transfer money you've gathered right, signals a massive addition. Now, especially if I, I don't want to put this out into the universe, I want to touch wood while I'm saying this, especially if we make Europe, the, the injection and investment that we're going to have to make is going to be very, 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 very compelling and interesting. But I do want to point out one thing. I'm, I'm, even if we do lose to Zerbi at some point in the future, uh, we've, we've shown, uh, I know it's easy to say this, but Blooming Barber can find the right fit for this club. Um, and, I mean, look at look at the struggles Potter's having now with, with his sort of, you know, Michelin-starred meal of menu of players that he has at Chelsea. Um, could you argue that Potter was made to look good with the Brighton structure? You absolutely could. Now, De Zerbe showed flashes of this in his career, but never at the level where he's competing for, for you know European football in the Premier League against the strongest sides in the world. Um, this club and this structure and this format elevates managers, and I feel like we'd find another suitable candidate and elevate them accordingly as well. Um, I'm just glad we're not fighting for a relegation battle because this this looks like one of the ugliest ones in years. Yep, we are. Uh, we're what four points away from safety. So. I think we might make it. I think we'll, we could be all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could even go back and argue that Hutton benefited from the Brighton structure because as soon as he left, mm. uh, he went to teams that should have been. I mean, he went to Forest, and they should. I mean, look at where they are now when they, they when they brought in Cooper, Mister um, Poyet. Yep. Big time, big time. All of them, really, uh, with the with the exception of Oscar, I suppose, uh, who only left due to personal issues and has had his entire management career suffered from the occasional weird whatever's going on with his personal life. Uh, because whenever he has come back in, he's done pretty well wherever he's gone. Uh, he just seems to end up flitting in and out of management because of things behind the scenes, which is, I think he's the only one, really, Um and it really goes to show just how bad Sammy fucking Hopia was when it can't, he can't even <laughs> he can't succeed, he can't succeed in the in the in the Potter model uh, rather the blue model and just disappeared entirely forever and ever. I'm not even sure he's in football anymore. Um, Mikey in the chat saying the day we lose Bloom and Barber is the day we're in trouble. Uh, no, I would say the day we lose Bloom is the day we're in trouble, Mikey, uh, and I suspect that. Uh, we may all be very, very old or just dead already. 
uh, or nuclear wasteland uh, because he ideally that would soften the pain it would soften it would, the blow it? Um, yeah. I don't think that Bloom is leaving until he literally isn't able to live <laughs> to, to be honest um, and at that age you know we're talking like 50 years from now so I'm not particularly concerned about that honestly uh, I think you've got more likelihood of aliens coming down and buying the club themselves um Barber, he's obviously a superb chief exec, vice chairman. The stuff he does day-to-day is excellent. I think he makes mistakes uh, quite often as it pertains to the fan interaction. Uh, We've just saw 1,900 Leeds tickets sold out uh, because Brighton had once again asked for a smaller allocation, never got past the season ticket holders. Um, How does this keep happening? Like now I'm here, I'm going to start suffering directly from this uh, because that was a game I would have liked to have gone to. Um, and with the 3,000, it would have absolutely hit the My Albion Plus members. With the 1,900, it didn't even get past season ticket holders. Um, I don't get how we're still making those mistakes. In 2023, someone needs to have a word with the club. They're so progressive and forward-thinking. We need to have a way of having fans directly in line and having conversations with the top board every now and again, whether it's monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly it doesn't need to be sexy it doesn't need to be cool something something straightforward simple like a fan advisory board or something didn't like we, that didn't we just make one of those um, and it like blew up <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah well what so what um, i i know I, I know you were joking about it but what actually happened with it i don't know my understanding is that uh, they have had one meeting in the last quarter and I believe only one or two of the members even bothered to show up. Super. And everybody else is not yeah, bothered. Yeah. yeah. Um, but don't forget, it's the youngsters that are crap fans and just give up on everything. So re- imagine how much worse it would have been if anyone younger than 57 got onto the fan advisory board. <laughs> would have been even worse. Um, yeah, it's just an absolute joke, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's frustrating. We're way off on a tangent here. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't even know um, where we got to. We're talking about Matoma, and we just got to about uh, Bloom and aliens. Yeah, Stephen Mitchell could Brighton lose two managers in eighteen months, and Bloom make a profit of seventy million pounds off the managers <laughs> alone. It's really quite a funny, funny input there. Um, I, I will say one thing. I suspect Deserby, wherever he does go after us, will hit the ground running uh, and be a lot more successful in his role than Potter is currently in his. Um, he just operates on a different level, I think. Uh, and we may well be looking back at this one as uh, one of those times where you're like, huh, we were really lucky to have got that guy. It's almost like, you know, if Messi had come through at a different level and like played for a team or like when Harry Kane played for Millwall or whatever it was for a, for a year. And you're like, huh. the, uh, you know, the one that I was like to reminisce about is when Carlos Tevez and Javier Messerano play for West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> In the sketchiest transfer of all time. Yeah. Was it like Jura Batchen or whatever that weird agent's name was where like West Ham like owned like 7% of the product. It's just some weirdness. I always like to think about that one. I'm pretty sure like every single person involved in that deal barring like the players themselves are in prison at this point somewhere in South America. Well, uh, yeah. And they're well, dead. West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, a, that was such a, such a bizarre one. Just playing at the old Upton parties, Mascherano. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Madness. Uh, the results around the grounds were very good for us as well. Weren't they? Um, we had Arsenal dropping, 
uh, to Everton, which is like you say, it's making that that relegation battle look really not great. Uh, Leicester beating Villa, uh, Southampton losing again, Wolves beating Liverpool with a really odd result. And a big one for us was West Ham holding Newcastle uh, to a draw. Um, that was excellent, I thought. Uh, Newcastle are not the infallible team that, that we thought they uh, I, I expected them to beat West Ham, but they, they couldn't. Um, it's great for us. We're now three points off of them uh, if we win our game in hand, which is Palace, I believe. Uh, we are continuing to climb up the table. Um, and one thing is to be said, Brentford are following close in behind, aren't they? This this Bloom Benham masterclass uh, is not just a, a, a fluke, is it? We are both making strides up the table. Yeah, it turns out you just got to be statistician gamblers, and uh, you can run Premier League clubs successfully. Yeah, the fact that I'm annoyed that Spurs just beat Man City because it might impact us playing European football is a, is a, a sentence that I didn't think I'd be saying um, this season after you know we sold out. A plus players and lost our entire coaching staff and manager, uh, but here we are living in bizarro world. It is outrageous, isn't it? Like just still looking up from the position that we're in. Um, it's quite nice. Uh, <laughs> did we want to touch on the officiating from yesterday? Or oh, why would yes. you bring that up? Uh, yeah, well, we I should, shouldn't we? <laughs> I, I feel like it's so it's so consistent that actually we we could just copy and paste from previous podcasts and, and bits and pieces but it's worth just covering off for a, a couple of minutes at least but um yeah yeah mr craig paulson was the referee uh does anybody know who was on var yesterday stevie wonder <laughs> basic isn't it? it is basic uh yeah i'm not sure i think it was one of the newer fellas i think uh that was on var um yeah disaster from start to finish i think um, and it's one of those ones where you know it's really bad where I feel like, and I tweeted it from the account too, I feel like he got every decision wrong for both teams. <laughs> like it's, when you're getting it Pretty wrong much. And, I, and I feel like, oh, that's a bummer for Bournemouth. <laughs> you shouldn't be thinking that. Like you should be thinking like, yes, good. Like that's right because we deserve that. But like, no, like half the time it was like, he's flipping a coin. He has no idea. No idea whatsoever, does he? That I will say... I do think the penalty shout, let's talk about that, uh, Est opinion. Um, I do not think that was anywhere near as scandalous as Gary O'Neill and the commentary made out. Do you? So I, th- I know we talked about it yesterday. I don't know if you've got the chance to look it back uh, in slow-mo and form a different opinion. I know we all thought it was a bit over-exaggerated how much they thought it was a stonewall pen. Um, but I've seen it a couple of times, and the more I see it, the less it looks dodgy at all. It just, there was nothing really in it for me. I, I think you just see it all the time, don't you? So it, it's one of those where it, it happens so often that it just doesn't seem that outrageous or a scandal to me that, that that hasn't been given because I think you see it so many times across the pitch in 90 minutes that I, I don't see how it stands out. I was a little bit confused by the, at least the US commentary, that they were making such a song and dance about it because, yeah, I, I didn't see too much in it. This is, I want to make sure my memory is serving me correctly. Is this the one where Veltman got pushed and then would, the foul wasn't given and then the handball? Are we, are we in the same space here or am I thinking of something this else? This is the first half, I think. Where yeah, the, the counter-attack. Okay. No, where he sort I of just, I guess, I've just blanked was, that one out of my mind. It wasn't that important, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, case in point. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, yeah, there was uh, definitely not a handball either, honest opinion on the one you're talking about as well. Um, but the Veltman, not giving the foul on Veltman felt really egregious to me in, yeah. in that build-up uh, because you saw the hand shove him in the back. Now, arguably, he went down a little bit easy, but I, I fully expected them to then not actually admit that they got that wrong, but then give the handball decision and give them a penalty. That was that, In my mind, that was the 90% likelihood. Yeah. So I just went went down easy, like, and and that's that that is what it is. I think, yeah, the the handball one, I was like you said, I I was worried about that as well, uh, and that they could easily give that. Um, but there you go. It just it just seems so outrageously inconsistent that something that we're not worried about doesn't even get looked at within two seconds. Um, it's just it's very strange. It it's it is flipping a coin at this point. Yeah. Um, Stephen in the chat, uh, we're, we're not daring even say the word Europe and Stephen's saying that we're in the running for the Champions League still in his head. So, you know, there are there are those among us uh, boisterous with confidence. What time is it in England? Is a booze out already? What are we at? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's half past yeah, six yeah. on a Sunday to me. Yeah, OK, it has to be. It probably is, yeah. Um, no, I think Mikey has just brought something up and this has been something that they actually talked about in the NFL in recent months and weeks and years as well and they've not done it in the NFL and they're not going to do it in the Premier League but I wish they would uh, Rush should do post-match interviews like everyone else I think that's absolutely right I think at bare minimum their notes that they write up during the game or you know their post-match you know review of the game or whatever should be made public every single one of them for me um, at minimum uh, but I do think that we should have post-match interviews from refs. I think we should just ask why. Like, let's let's vocalise these decisions, um, or you know, at least hear what they're saying. Like in rugby, Mikey says, um, I just don't see the harm in something like that because right now, this <laughs> just, the lack of transparency is just it, that's the scandalous piece of it. Not not some of these decisions not going without people's way. Like the whole structure of the refing group is just shocking isn't it no but we get to see the camera shot of the var look at the screen and then make the wrong decision so in some ways it's like really transparent uh again we've had this conversation card about six months ago or something but it's so hard now for them to get new referees coming through the ranks and then get them to the level that they need to be at that if you start making them you know, hypothetically be even greater villains in, in this game, um, you're going to get less and less of them come through. You might have someone just be like, you know what, if you can put me on trial after the game, like, it just isn't worth it. So it, we, maybe we have to get into a position where like referees are paid, what the players are paid and it becomes a prestige job and it's worth all the hassle. Right now, it just feels like you'd, you'd have to be insane to become a referee. And it looks like some of them are. I, yeah, I think the, <laughs> the the transparency means, or well, the lack of transparency is just lack of accountability and repercussions if you if you aren't doing a good job. So they they are sheltered to an extent that they shouldn't be, but it's a it's a good counterpoint that if you are going to be in the spotlight so often, then who actually wants to do that job anyway? Um, so you're sort of in that catch-22 at the moment where you don't have enough good refs, but then actually you don't have any good refs anyway. Um, so it's, just, it's very hard to replace something that isn't there. Uh, weird scenario. I think it is impacting 
the football and I guess the few, like, the experience of, of actually watching these competitive games. Um, I wouldn't mind if it was consistent, if it was, <laughs> but, but it's just the inconsistency that gets me that one game can be completely altered by a decision that actually wasn't given in the previous three. And, and that's the weird part to me is that there's no, there's no consistency, but there's, there's a bunch of issues with the officiating. It's not just that it, it's, there's a lot there that just hinders what we watch. We need to go back to the Qatar style, in my opinion. I, I, I want the Qatar style refereeing. Uh, overuse of VAR and 45 minutes of stoppage time. Uh, let's let's do that in the Premier League. I thought it was quite fun. It's different. It's weird yesterday there was only four minutes, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know where they managed to get old. Yeah, that was bizarre. Um, yeah, but we're what? seeing it across all sports too, aren't we? Like, I don't know how many other sports you two watch on the regular, but we're seeing this across all sports aren't we? Like we're seeing every single set of fans are getting more and more aggrieved by refing decisions. I don't watch it, but I have a fair few friends that are massively into the NBA and they say it's like feels like they're outright rigging games at times. Like they just make the games about themselves. Um I don't know if anybody watched the playoffs last week in the NFL, uh, but it felt like both games came out I came out of both games feeling like as a neutral, a game-winning field goal with three seconds to go should have felt entertaining to me, but everything just felt overshadowed by shit refs. Even the Formula One, you can't get out of it. You can't even get away with it in Formula One. Like, one of the dodgiest, like, I'm not going to get into the team, the Stappen team, how and stuff, but that Abu Dhabi situation a year ago, regardless of what side you're on or anywhere in between, was one of the most disgraceful pieces of officiating in any sports ever. It's all across the board in every sport. And there's got to be something like I, the only conclusion I can come to is athletes in every single discipline are getting faster, stronger, more skillful, and just smarter across the board. And our officiating structures across it, every single sport from top to bottom is simply unable to keep up with the levels that these people are performing at, be it in cars or with the ball in their hands or the ball at their feet. Um, it feels like they're just not up to it. Um, and it seems that they're just falling behind. Well, I think that's the point. I think that, that they're, they're falling behind because the, these, I mean, think of how much money is, is, f- uh, sort of come into these individual sports over the last few decades. And then we just simply haven't built up the necessary sort of infrastructure. Um, maybe there's some like super ref school I wasn't aware of that exists, but like it doesn't seem like we've gone down that pathway to actually start to worry about that. And the other part is it is, yeah, everyone's faster and quicker and better and all that kind of stuff. But also there's more rules than there ever have been in every one of these sports now. And they keep getting changed and modified and adapted. And there's various different weird interpretations of all the rules. And then the other aspect being that there's more technology than ever. So we've got like these superhumans that are better than ever doing more outrageous things than they ever have done. We've got more rules that exist than we've ever had before. And then we've got more ways to look at them than we ever have before. So naturally, we're going to get more and more situations that are kind of weird and questionable and because we're seeing more. More things are happening. Than ever. It's not like it's, you know, some dudes on a, on a Sunday that have been out on the, the, the booze Saturday night 
and everyone's running around trotting around and there's a ref that sort of just and you miss he's missed something here he's missed something here, and the only way you hear about it is because some one of your mates is seen on the other side and then no one ever talks about it again now these are under the microscope it's all screwed yeah and i think it's the, the levels of money involved with all of these results and, and bits and pieces that make them even more like you said um susceptible to that sort of attention it, I think there's there's a there's a lose lose situation there because some of these VAR decisions can cost millions. You you go back to the the Aston Villa and not turning on the goal line tech and and that's again that's you're talking hundreds like what tens of millions of pounds in that respect. And the, if they went down or if they got relegated to the championship, it's you know those sort of decisions that are being made now are so costly to whoever is involved that actually this the scrutiny is unrivaled. Um, that. Like I said, there's there's so many things that is contributing towards the issue, uh, and I think it it's got to a point, Josh, like you said, where it's impacting multiple sports on a more regular basis, um, and very strange. Yeah, sorry, I was just replying to Adam saying my audio is good on my side. I can hear everybody loud and clear. Um, but Stephen in the chat, I, I'm not a golf guy. Uh, listeners driving around in a car or listen to this, I maybe will nod, nod sagely along to his point. But even there's issues, Patrick Reed has had issues, whatever that means. Uh, we're, we're seeing issues across the board. Um, and if you're you're not able to keep up with golf, that, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> things are not going to plan um, thankfully uh, this coming week um, a game free of issues and controversy uh, Palace next <laughs> um, at Celeste um, how are we feeling about this one fellas um, to me this just feels like the classic Brighton Palace game uh, we are in scintillating form we are just so confident we're looking great uh, their their record since the World Cups came back from the World Cup has been loss, win, loss, 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 draw, draw, loss. Uh, so I am absolutely predicting some sort of three-one win to Palace uh, on Saturday. Feels yeah. like it all the way through, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's a it's a Saturday three pm game, isn't it? Which is weird in amongst itself. And um, but yeah, I think we're <laughs> we have the best form of the league. I think they have the second worst form of the league. So naturally this is the the biggest banana peel since yesterday um so <laughs> it it's yeah, it's just going to be one of those games isn't it where you know i think mikey's saying in the chat like it it just feels like nothing's going to go right i i hope i'm wrong i'm also just touching wood everywhere as well that you know we we can take this form and and go into that game with a decent performance um but like like with these games, form tends to go out the window a little bit. So uh, we need to be on our best form. And I was, again, looking at some of the post-match interviews as well, is that uh, it's obviously on Dunkey and March and everyone to uh, also let the other guys know how important this is to certain fans and, and make sure that we're up for it as well, because it's, a, it's a, a big one for everyone. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the good news is outside of all the potential for this to be horrendous for us, the other side of this, if we want to get really optimistic, is we batter them. Um, uh, because we're going to have Caicedo, McAllister back, probably Ferguson back, and we're capable of like playing our strongest team, playing Deserby football. And 
they've not seen that before firsthand. Um, I, I, I'm going to go bold on this one because I, I do. I don't know if we're doing score predictions, but we are now. I, I think we beat them three nil. Um, that's what I'm going for. That's that's what I want to see. Heart heart overhead. Yeah. In a big way. Yeah. <laughs> Brain switched off. Yeah. It's it's weird, isn't it? Um, and I don't think there's going to be many fans disagree with me here. Uh, but he's been at this club for four and a half months. But I think that Deserby will really want to win this one. I think he'll know what it means. And for some reason, he's going to be just as emotionally invested as every, I think if we score a couple of goals, you're going to see more than, I think he was about 15 yards onto the pitch yesterday. I think you might see him do laps around the whole thing. Just copping his ears as he goes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think he might be the biggest shithouse in history. If we, if we, it's absolutely a deserving red card sort of game next year, (laughs) next week for me. Um, And I don't think he'll apologize for it whatsoever. Uh, Toby in the chat does make a good point as well. Um, really tough run of games coming up from March onwards. Uh, Manchester United, Brentford, Spurs, Chelsea and City. Um, really important for us with the title chase. Um, if we want to make a concerted possible to the end of the season, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good results there would be important, won't they? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know how many other people follow the other 14 on the Twitter and, and bits and pieces. I think for those that do the stats, I think we're we're getting the results that maybe we normally wouldn't get. So it's, it'll be a tough period, but I think with this team and the way that they play, uh, we, we can, we can take it to each of those teams. I think we're, we're in such a positive headspace right now that mid March, although it's only sort of a month away, it's going to be a difficult spell, but I, I fully back these players to deliver the performances that we need. And a couple of them might not go our way and that, and that's fine. Um, but I think it will be a respectable showing, but, yeah, I think mid March is going to be the main thing that defines where we where we where we end up. I mean, it doesn't get much easier from now, does it? Because you've got Palace at Palace, and then you've got Fulham the following week. Mm. None I mean, of it. Every game terrifies me. Even though I just said I think we're going to beat Palace three <laughs> 0 but, but I don't. I don't look at any fixture now and think, "Oh, this will be right." Because the clubs that should be doing well, that have all the history and the recent success, are doing badly with one odd exception. And then you've got the other teams that historically you'd go, oh, this will probably be an easy three points. They're actually doing quite well. So that then means that every game looks scary. The only game that I wouldn't be terrified of is if we had to play bloody Liverpool again, which is funny (laughs) in and of itself. I mean, your bottom five, uh, none of them yet to reach 20 points. Uh, Southampton, Bournemouth, Everton, Leeds and West Ham. But Bournemouth was one of the hardest games they've played this season. So... Forbes and Leicester are above them, by the way. Like it doesn't. Like, that's that's an insane bottom seven, really, isn't it? When you look, it's at it's, it's 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 scary to look at, and I, I keep trying to think about which which of the three that's going to go down because you are going to get a really significant loss for like the Premier League with 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 this relegation drop this year because um, you're gonna you're gonna lose a, a stalwart of the league. But I, one quick thing before I forget on the Palace game. They, they they just they can't play football without Wilfred Zaha like the the pantomime villain and he's not not fit for another month or something like that so like there's different proposition when he's on the pitch and yeah he's the guy that gets it as well and annoying for for us to say but like he he gets what it's about and he Despise he always he, he does show up for those games as annoying as it is for me to admit so uh, there's a big plus that he's going to be out for that 
Yeah, it is. And when you when you counterbalance that with McAllister being back, Caicedo will most definitely start in. You're, you're going to have Solly playing, Dunk playing. These players will, will let them know just how important it is. Um, yeah, I, we're in a good spot, I think. Uh, I think it's going to be a nasty, nasty game. Um, but that's probably going to work in our favour uh, because it's only been a couple of months, but Deservey seems to thrive on that. Uh, he's not going to be too worried about it when he's going to, to teams with the actual ultras and not the pretend palace ones. Um, I think him or that team is going to be much intimidated by some noisy lads uh, at Seller. So uh, reasons to be cheerful. I mean, we talk about, I was just talking about how horrific uh, Palace's form has been um, in this last, well, since since the World Cup was over. Uh, if you want to look at Brighton's in the last, well, since the World Cup is over, uh, it's, it's a very different reading, isn't it? It's win, loss, win, 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 draw, win, win. I think it is uh, only Brentford with better form than that. Uh, yeah, I feel like I saw a tweet earlier that we were top in 2023, but I, I, I might be lying and we might be second. Either way, yeah, it's it's that would crazy. make sense because Arsenal were New Year's Eve. We have not lost in 2023, so that's probably why. I was going from the when the World Cup was finished, but Brentford probably had a decent end of the year and had a bad start, maybe something like that. But yeah, we are just insane. The, the, the funny one, not related to us, but just humorous, uh, is I think Liverpool's top scorer for 2023 is the lad from Leicester that scored two, uh, two own goals. Um, and after that, it's Oxlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> Future Brighton player, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yeah, apparently so, yeah. <laughs> All right, I think that's everything. Do you have anything else you wanted to add? Stephen uh, thinks Leeds are going down. Don't, don't give me hope, Stephen. Like, it would be so lovely to see them drop. Um, what just, do, where do all the poor Americans go to then? We've got uh, Americans. Yeah, they'll be an exodus. Oh, they'll, they'll have yeah. to get ESPN, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll be gone. Yeah, every single one of them. They can't get away with playing in the championship for a couple of years. That would be brutal. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. I would love Everton, Leeds, and Bournemouth to go down. That would be my favourite three. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I see it's, it's a tough league like you, you see Forest picking up results now what is that 14 points in seven games all of a sudden they're looking absolutely right and things can change and Sean Dyche is going to get Everton out of that so um, I, I think so but it's, it's a tough one I don't I think it could probably get to 40 points and maybe a team go down with 40 this year it, it looks like it's shaping up to be one of those seasons just saying Palace only six points clear Minus ten goal this weekend if it goes well. Mm. Yeah, uh, and and Forest about to you know potentially take over there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one. I'm just so glad we're looking down on it. Not up. yeah, we're not <laughs> yeah. invested. And Again, we like, lose every game now until the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, just every Brighton fan looking at six more points, and that's it. Like just hoping that we can get that as quickly as possible. We're sat here on April 29th, just dishevelled, like, hello, <laughs> lost number 14 in a row. <laughs> I mean, we, we've been sort of, you know, subjected <laughs> to that under Grand Potter last year, where it felt like we wet, we had four seasons in one. Um, yeah. Three not months that again. Goal Please, not that again. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, fellas. Uh, we will speak again next week after the big one, the big rivalry. Uh, so, yeah, let's just enjoy the week, everybody. Um, be safe out there, and uh, we will speak again next week. Cheers Thank for you. listening.